0: This handout is uh, a great thing to keep around for the next couple of days, because uh, a number of the terms on here are going to be bandied about as if they were understood by everybody. And as if it was Dharma. Dude, what? Said, as if it was Dharma. As if it was dharma. the reason for that is because um, we've taken on as a theme for uh, the next couple of days the name Arrakis as a theme for, for um, gathering them. And the reason that we did that was because the building that we're now in has been named by Mr. Lee Arrakis and this was done a long time ago but it was done with intention, it was done with a reason and since it was so long ago that reason may not be remembered or maybe never had been known by some of the people here and What the intention is, is to simply reawaken or remind ourselves about what Mr. Lee's wish was in naming this building Arrakis and having it be his home. So the word Arrakis comes from a book written by a man named Frank Herbert. The book was called Dune. How many people have not read Dune here? Okay. So, I'm not an expert on Duneology, or it's, you know, like in Star Trek, you got Trekkies who just know everything. And I'm not one of those guys. I really really don't know all the details and the words, and I can't speak in Fremen. Though you won't know that tomorrow, because I'll be speaking in Fremen. But um, I, you know, I just I don't know who married what, when, and which king killed who for what reason, and all that, because the book is an epic tale. But I do know a little bit about what the book is about in terms of its importance in our work, simply because. Um, the planet Dune or Arrakis the planet Arrakis is a desert planet it's a planet that has water on it enough to sustain human life but not a not a flourishing amount of water it's been locked up and held in at in certain areas by some of the life forms on the planet and it's been held there so that the life forms can exist because some of the for- to some of the forms, water is a poison. So they have to protect themselves from the water. So the whole planet is really big sand dunes, big dust bowls, sandstorms. And in order for human beings to live on this planet, they have to maintain a very specific and profound level of practice in order to survive. If they don't practice, they die. And that, that's just the facts of life on Arrakis. And it's, and, um, so some of the things that I wanna be talking about, and many of the terminologies that are on the sheet that I handed out, have to do with um, like ways of practice on Arrakis. So I'm going to be going through a number of um, of um, like ideas about or, or uh, descriptions of the philosophy or the uh, viewpoint or the practices of the native inhabitants of this planet Arrakis. The native inhabitants are named Fremen, F-R-E-M-E-N. And they, um, the reason that we're going to, I'm going to talk about this is because way back in 1976 Mr. Lee had a vision and followed that vision by taking 12 disciples across America from New Jersey to a desert place called Arizona and they traveled lightly they had to but yet they were moving entirely from, you know, all the way across the country. They were moving from one, you know, New Jersey is about as far away from Prescott, Arizona, culturally, as you can get. I was, I was just out there in uh, New York City doing a training, and I was very impressed by the different culture I was in out there. It was a very distinct difference between the people that live and survive in New York City and right around New Jersey um, and the people that live and survive out here in cowboy land in the desert but what happened was was when Mr. Lee moved the community as it was from New Jersey to Prescott Arizona he actually set up what in from in terminology would be called a siege and a siege is a is a community, and it is a community put together in order to survive. It's a put it's it's a community bonded together as a way of um, sustaining themselves. When Mr. Lee moved here, he named this building Arrakis, and he named I may have my facts wrong, so please correct me if I'm I'm wrong here, but I believe he named the dome Seleuza, which is another planet described in the book Dune, but it is a planet that is even more difficult to live on than Arrakis. And it was was the planet where um, imperial kingdoms would send men to train them to be the most fierce warriors in the universe. Because if they could survive living in Seleuza, these were nasty guys. So what is Zarakis? What is you know, what is Dune? What's the, what's the story about? This painting up here was done by the children in the, in the homeschooling program here. And they've, they've really captured um, a lot of the major elements um, that are just kind of mythological forms but they do it right here in uh, picture format and I'm, as I'm going through the paper here and talking about some different things I'll also point out and describe to you some of the uh, characteristics of the, of the um, figures that are drawn up here in the painting what's, uh, what's so exciting about this is we get to pretty much Uh, like swim in the culture of dune over the next couple of days and really get a sense of, um, you know, you're looking back at our practices from a different viewpoint. So, for example, one of the main practices that the Fremen had had to do with water because there was so little water there that um, it was very precious. So I have this glass of water here, and we're looking at about uh, two months' salary here for a Fremen in this one glass of water. This is the value of this exchange. When when Fremen are out in the desert (coughs) wearing what is called a still suit, this is a uh, um, locally manufactured, sophisticated suit you'll you'll see some over the next couple days um, that are designed specifically to recycle the body's water we sweat we urinate we defecate all of those things have water in them what this suit does is through uh, multiple layers of fabric and through pumping action in the heel of the shoe force the fluids through filtering membranes to separate the, the water out from the, the impurities and, and place it back into catch pockets within the suit so that a Fremen can actually drink it again and recycle it through their body. And with a properly adjusted, well-functioning still suit, a Fremen can work all day hard out in the desert and waste three teaspoons of water. That's it. And it would go away from just a few patches of skin on the face. One of the, one of the uh, implements on a still suit is a tube that goes out and goes in the nose. It's called a filt plug, which actually catches the exhaled air back in through a filter in the suit and removes the moisture out of the suit. Something else about water is that is that a Fremen saying is that your body belongs to you, but the water in your body belongs to the tribe or to the village, to the tribe. And what that means is, if you can get a feel for it, this this water that we have in our bodies has been recycling around the planet for three and a half billion years. So water doesn't go away. It, it, uh, the water molecules, we take a glass of water, we sweat it out, it goes evaporated in the air, then it rains, it lands on some forest, the tree soaks it up, then a, uh, an animal comes along and eats the leaves of the tree, that same water is now in that animal. The, wa- the, the animal dies and, uh, and the juices go into the earth and are taken up by ants. So now the water is in. They're eaten by ants. So the water now is in the ants. The ants die, by and they're eaten by an ant eater. The ant eater pees. The pee goes into a stream. The stream goes down and gets cleaned up and ends up in a reservoir out here. And we turn on our faucet and drink the water again. So the water has been recycling around over and over and over again, and it it's almost like the teaching the water is like the teaching and the teaching has been around for the same amount of time as the water and it goes it it goes all through the people here and we you know the the teaching itself doesn't belong to us we just carry it we carry it and pass it on we preserve it we maintain it and we pass it on. And in the uh, in Arrakis, in the when you die, there's a thing that they have called a death still, and it will actually take your body and remove all the moisture out of it and put it back into the common pool of water that's buried underground, so that your your water is recycled back into the village's water. It doesn't belong to you. Your water doesn't belong to you. So these people up here. Uh, this person here is wearing a still suit and um, you'll you'll be able to ask people questions about when they're wearing them how things different work, and and you'll see the different the different kinds Um, each siege would have its own style of of suit and style of different kinds of mechanisms so you'll also be able to see that over the next couple of days so The thing is that the people on Arrakis all came from a different planet. There were the native creatures of Arrakis were not human. The um, so they're all off-worlders, but there's certain qualities or different types of people. There are the people who come from uh, palaces and from they're the royalty, the the elite. And they, they live in the towns, there's townspeople. There's one or two towns on Arrakis. And it's very, very costly for people to live there simply because of the amount of water that they use. Um, a palm tree, a single palm tree goes through something like 50 quarts of water in one day. So the wealth, the wealth displayed by a single palm tree growing in front of your house is immense. It's a it's an incredible dem- waste. It's an incredible waste on the planet. The, um, so the kinds of cou- there are many different cultures living intertwined on the planet, many different cultures. One of the cultures is these off-worlders who really don't know anything about dune. And it's as if we would have a guest come into the ashram, never having read the Protocol and Spaces handbook, and never having read Tawagoto or Divine Slave Gita, never having really spoken to anybody here about what it's like to live in the ashram. Somebody like that would make very many assumptions, they would make a lot of mistakes, and they would um, really be lost here. And they would probably do a lot of damage either to the spaces, the uh, or, or the, uh, the uh, bonds that people have, they would just kind of like have no respect or regard for what works here and what doesn't work here. So on the planet Arrakis, there are off-worlders who come in and really don't know how to live on the planet. And over the next day or so, you'll be introduced in the same way that when you move to the ashram, you're introduced to many Many new viewpoints you 'll get some new viewpoints about what it would like to be living on arrakis, and at the same time you 'll be able to look back on it and say oh yeah there 's a correlation between becoming more aware of for example a glass of water as as um, the same level of awareness changes it takes to to actually come here in your own practice and setting up a, a example the sacred space in your own home it's very very different um, way of looking at things that we're normally accustomed to from the training out just in America so there are a couple of other cultures one is the Fremen culture which I've mentioned but there's another subculture on the planet and it is a group of a very small and elite group of mostly women who have been trained in a school that's called Bene Gesserit these people have been trained in very very fine um, observational skills and muscular and nerve control and a lot of mental control and they were doing that specifically to interbreed over several thousand years and produce a certain specific kind of vessel in a human being, a certain human being that acts as a vessel, that they called the Kwisatz Haderach. And this was one who could go places that the that the women could not go because it was not available to them to go there. They were basically pro- building or designing through heredit study of heredity and through genetic engineering and manipulation. They were producing a, a body you know a human body that was refined enough or had specific characteristics that could they could hold that this body could hold and go voyage to places that other human beings bodies could not go to so if you were to look at what we're doing here together on the ashram and as a community as home community we are working at refining this body so that it can do the same thing, so that it can hold something finer and it can voyage to places deeper or farther away or more present, whatever, than a normal human being can do or go. This group of women called the Bene Gesserit Were often involved in espionage and politics and um, just they were really involved in uh, uh, spying and they had to know a lot about um, about everything in order to do the work that they had to do their training was very very in-depth and very formal and later in the talk i'm going to recommend um, that we do that you, we take on an experiment in kind of practicing in the way that they would practice so there's the off-worlders who live in cities and you know do everything that people on earth would do in a city you know you go to work go to the bar go to the grocery store go to the car store, you know, you're basically just living a life in the city. They were living there because if they tried to live in the desert they would die. They they only lived in the city because that was the that was the area that they could live in and still make it. But then there's the group of people called the Fremen and they lived by choice out in the desert and What I want to say is that the correlation between the, the, the metaphor of the desert used in this book Dune and the great desert that Mr. Lee crossed with the community back in 1976 is fairly exact. Because, um, let me talk about sandworms. Sandworms are one of the indigenous species of Arrakis. And this is a picture of a sandworm here. Sandworms start out as slimy little films that, uh, that are able to keep water isolated into certain pockets and protect and keep everything else dry so that the water, which, which is a poison to sandworms, will not hurt them so that sandworms can't survive. So, um, what a sandworm then is, is after about a thousand years, through larval changes, the the slime layer will change and grow into, it'll transform into this giant sandworm. Now this this picture of a sandworm is showing one that is perhaps a hundred, meters across in diameter this mouthpiece here is about a hundred meters across so it's like long this is big this thing is this thing can swallow you know buildings can swallow any machine it's a big machine the danger of this machine is that it can get swallowed by sandworms some of the characteristics I want to tell you about sandworms are that they um, are very attracted to a regular beat. Any uh, in, uh equal interval pulse that they sense is a sign to them that there's something there to eat. And they will go directly to it and swallow it and metabolize it. Just eat it. Um, which makes walking across sand dunes very dangerous because every time you take a step, 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 sandworm goes, mmm, lunch, and comes there immediately. So for a fremen to walk across the sand, one of their practices is to walk with no regular beat. And then the sounds that they create will be no different from the sounds created by sand accidentally sliding down the dune from the wind, a rock falling off of a cliff and landing in the sand, or or any number of odd just sounds that are coursing through the desert sand. Sound travels through sand very quickly. It It travels much more quickly through a solid, like sand or rock, than it does through the air. So, it's very easy for a a sandworm to tell, to locate here, sense, and and go directly to a source of food. So, um, another, well, let me just continue on the metaphor I was working on, which was that, when, when we go out in the world, and we make a regular sound, and attract attention, then sandworms will come and eat us also, just previous to this talk <coughs> excuse me, Mr. Lee made an announcement about the fact that the band Shri is going to be playing at a local bar in town <coughs> this evening uh, if he said that if we were to go into the bar and represent ourselves as Who we believe we are and what we're doing there really and what we're about we would be making a regular thumping sound we would be standing out from the other common noises that are out there in our culture we would be an obvious target for a sandworm now a sandworm a big sandworm would be something like the um, tobacco and firearms what is that what is that? What are those guys ATF. called? Huh? Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. <clears throat> big sandworm. <clears throat> there are a bunch of big sandworms out there. Um, they all have like initials for their names. So, <laughs> you know. there's there's IRS CIA FBI there's a lot of big sandworms out there who you know serve make they have they exist they have a right to exist they're doing their job but if you want to be food for a sandworm you go out there and make regular thumping noises and in no time at all they're going to come and just swallow you down and not think a second thought it is no problem for a sandworm to eat a company or an organization or a group or a community or anything. It is no problem. And it's a foolish mistake to think that you can, that it's a foolish mistake to think that that is not what is at risk all the time for us. Uh, One of the sayings of the Fremen is how seductive it is to live in peace. Um, And that's what is commonly assumed here, is that since our environment here on the ashram is relatively peaceful, I mean, we don't have murders going on here in our backyard, there's not drive-by shootings, you know, there's, there's, it's, there aren't cars speeding up and down the street here. We're living pretty reclusive life here and it feels as if things are peaceful. And then what we do just naturally is assume well that since it's peaceful here, well it's peaceful everywhere. And that's very, very naive to think that. Over and over and over again, Mr. Lee is reminding us about that naivete and what it what it will cost us if we don't wake up about that so one way to wake up about it is to begin to train ourselves as if we were um, living in an environment that was dangerous that's the truth so if we were to wake up to the fact that we're living in an environment that is dangerous and that there are huge very hungry sandworms living Perhaps with even ears amongst us, you know, that they know exactly what we're doing in every minute that we're doing it, then we would wake up about not making regular thumping noises that would attract its attention so it would come and eat us up. So, one of our practices, which is identical to the practices of a Fremen living on Arrakis, is to not make those kinds of noises. It is to to not uh, try to explain ourselves, like Mr. Lee was saying, oh, you know, what are you doing here at the bar? Well, I'm celebrating the Appearance Day celebration of my spiritual master. I came here because the, uh, the band that you're listening to is, a, is a, a, you know, a configuration of alchemists that's trying to transform the sleeping world into an environment that can support and sustain the Dharma in a way that, that, you know, that will will change the the energies of the planet. You know, this is regular thumping noises. This will stand out. This will attract sandworms' attention and um, quicker than you know, there will, you know, one would be eaten by that sandworm. So, What I'm talking about is very, very specific, very precise, very important kinds of stuff that if we don't get it, um, it's just like living on Arrakis. If you don't know how to walk in an irregular way. You know just like this very bizarre strange they have this motion it's very irregular sliding stepping walk if you can't walk invisibly that way you're going to be spotted and eaten and that's basic that's that's a fact it's proven over and over and over again out there um, you know Waco Texas you know we're talking that's all that's all that was going on there So the Fremen live in the desert by choice. They they bond together in in communities that are called sieges. They tunnel into the rocks. These are this is they have rock formations, you know, between the sand dunes, and um, they tunnel in there and live. They live in these caves and basically they live at nighttime. They come out at nighttime and they hide in the daytime for several reasons. Uh, the, the daytime is very hot and uh, in the daytime any activities that they do can be spotted by satellites that are circling the planet and have cameras just like what's going on here and they can they if they operating at night they're invisible they're not they're not so obvious so a big thing for Fremen is to live in um, invisibility because the work that they are doing, they do not want other people to know about. And the work that they are doing is, is they are working on capturing all of the available water on Arrakis, putting it in uh, huge underwater like river lakes, really, these ponds that they build, with the intention of what's called terraforming the planet. They're going to re... It's, uh, it's possible they figured out that it was possible ecologically manipulating the environment to, pr- re- to produce a planet that was lush and green again. And that's what their goal is. Everybody who's living on the planet in the cities and anybody who's looking at the planet at, from satellites. So they're committed to transforming the planet. Does that remind you of anything? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a practice, there's a, a, a way of describing that kind of work in our terminology that's called the Bodhisattva vow. It's really the same kind of thing. What we're looking at is um, awakening all sentient beings or saving all sentient beings, which, which what we're doing is we're taking the precious commodity which is awareness and we're consolidating it, you know, conserving it, preserving it, passing it on and bringing it all together and focusing it in a way that that will that creates a new environment that will sustain that so it's it's an exact kind of metaphor and there they are doing that whole job in secret over the next day or so you will see some of the techniques that they use there are different different methods for capturing water and for protecting them protecting the water and saving it like that you'll see some of that but the idea here is that it's a a direct metaphor for the work that we're doing another thing about sandworms is that in a larval stage uh, there's a waste product produced by the worms it's basically worm shit that when it ferments and and, uh, is exposed to air and sunlight transforms into a, a, a material that the Fremen call spice or melange, and when ingested by human beings, um, it has the effect of increasing life and also increasing awareness. So, frequently, um, off planet and on, always on planet, the Fremen use spice simply as uh, an ingredient in their food. It's just available to them. Um, I just wanted to talk about that because you'll be having a chance to have some spice tonight. This is a uh, a spice mining machine. It's called a crawler. What it's doing is it's going along sucking up huge pieces of, of the top layer of the sand, processing it, filtering out the spice from the sand and storing the spice for shipment off world because Arrakis is the only planet in the universe where sandworms grow and where spice is produced. And increasing life and awareness are valuable, are valuable. So it's, a, it's the commodity that Arrakis transports and sells. And um, Makes available to other worlds. It's also, they use it as a bribe to keep most of the satellites out of their sky. So if they cut off the supply of spice to the people who run the satellites, then the people who run the satellites will be angry. So what they've done is they bribe them with free spice so that they keep the satellites out of the sky so that Fremen can do their transformation work. Now, we have a company called Home Press, and in a way, in, information is like spice. Information is, to us, it's what increases awareness. We produce written materials that we make available to, really, to the general public. Whoever wants to to access the rare uh, information that we have in these books is... Is welcome to. They just have to pay for the books. So that's just it's just like spice. And where these where this information comes from is we mine it. Many of the authors for Home Press are are friends of the community, and are working together to refine um, the desert to pull out that which is uh, valuable and put it into books that we can sell. So what we're doing is is real similar. Um, to what the Fremen do as a way of uh, really protecting our, you know, as, as providing value for people who, who live off-world, off-planet, for people who live other places. So we provide value so that, um, so that in a way we're protected. You know, we provide value because we're, we're publishing books. We have Rick Moore works with the prison library project and we're p- with books again, we're providing tremendous value with um, supplying inmates of prisons with high quality spiritual literature and human contact through written written letter contact. And this is an incredible value. So we are doing also Shipping off planet valuable products as a way of 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 um, as a way of being of service to that to the outside world so that that we're protected in a way by doing that. What I want to do is uh, just read a couple of or a number of quotes from that are just excerpts taken out of the book and just comment about them a little bit because you'll get a really good feel for um, just some of the culture and some of the the uh, uh, disposition and attitude and regard that uh, Fremen and Bene Gesserit have for their training, their practices their teachings and just their philosophy one Let's see if I can find one that I didn't put on here that I was just thinking of when uh, I walked into the room here was, was it's actually the very first thing the very first quote in the very first book and it goes a beginning is the time for taking the most delicate care that the balances are correct this every sister of the Bene Jesuit knows so it's a very simple statement but it's like the beginning is the most delicate of times and uh, we had the privilege of being with a, a Tibetan monk last night in the Darshan Hall and he if you were lucky to be in there um, the care with which he began his invocation or his talk was amazing it was um, very conscious very precise and it was as if he was uh, you know setting up his ducks he was like creating this environment that would support and sustain what he had to provide for people so my experience of him coming into the room and sitting down in the chair and then beginning to speak was that the space shifted radically and became it just amped up very intense this is just an example of 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 um of the be- of taking care that that things are lining things up at the beginning because after, if everything is okay in the beginning then it will move forward when one makes sure everything is fine in the beginning, making an agreement with somebody and make sure the agreement is complete, then nobody's fooling themselves. Then nobody is expecting to get something out of the situation that um, is not going to be provided, or nobody, their people are not going to be um, um, hurt, or you know the problem is not being created. Problems can mostly be prevented or or, um, taken care of before they happen by paying attention to details at at the beginning of something. So this is just a a viewpoint or an idea that um, take care in the beginning to pay very close attention to details and that will assure that things will be taken care of further along down the line. So I was talking about how the Fremen were committed to fulfilling an impossible, an impossible task, which was taking Arrakis, which is a planet which is entirely desert and transforming it into a planet which is lush and green and has water flowing on the surface again and plants growing and is, people can just walk around without having to wear a still suit. So this is what their vision was. A quote about that is we change it slowly but with certainty to make it fit for human life our generation will not see it nor our children nor our children's children nor the grandchildren of their children but it will come open water and tall green plants and people walking freely without still suits So this is, this is really a big vision, and it's no different from the vision that we're committed to. It is no different from that. It is, our vision is that big. We're, we are looking at, we are committed to transforming the planet, and that's really um, not an understatement of what we're about. And when one has that as The context um, of our actions then this next idea will make a whole lot of sense quote the Fremen were supreme in that quality the ancients called Spanungsbogen which is the self imposed delay between the desire for a thing and the act of reaching out to grasp that thing there was a Zen teacher who said uh, something like I move very slowly in into the domain of pleasure very I move very slowly into receiving pleasure and it's the same thing that this was the self-imposed delay between the desire for a thing and the act of reaching out to grasp that thing Yesterday I was talking about entities. Entities don't have any self-control. What we're talking about here, that kind of a delay is self-control. So we're committed to fulfilling a vision that is impossible in our lifetime and impossible in the lifetime of our children. But it will come and that's what we're committed to. So it's the same as what the Fremen are committed to. "Quote: the universe is just there Unquote. this comes from uh, a training manual for the warriors of, of Arrakis Quote, the universe is just there the universe neither threatens nor promises it holds things beyond our sway the fall of a meteor, the eruption of a spice blow growing old and dying These are the realities of this universe, and they must be faced regardless of how you feel about them. You cannot fend off such realities with words. They will come at you in their own wordless way, and then, then you will understand what is meant by life and death. Understanding this, you will be filled with joy. That's That, to me, that really reminds me of some of Carlos Castaneda Don Juan writings. The whole idea of having, um, making friends with death as a way of being able to have joy right now, really enjoying the present. Last night in the talk, um, there was so much consideration about how short a time we have how little amount of time we have to do the work that we need to do there was uh yeah i really liked the story about the bush in front of the meditation cave the man in the cave was trying to get in the meditation cave. Well, should i cut the bush down well i might not have enough time to do the meditation that i need to do in the cave so i'm not going to cut the bush down as he's leaving the cave He says, well, should I cut the bush down so it's easier to come back next time? He says, well, if I cut the bush down now, I might not have enough time to get everything done I need to do out there in the world so I can come back and have enough time to meditate more. So it was a very fine consideration about um, the limited amount of time that we have available to us in these bodies to do the work that we need to do. "Quote: Is your religion real when it costs you nothing and carries no risks?" Most of us were brought up in a traditional American religion, some kind, probably some form of Christianity. And in my, I was brought up Lutheran, and in my upbringing. That religion cost me nothing. It was very clear that there was no risk in doing what they asked me to do to be a Lutheran. That's not the same as what the kind of work that we're being called on to do here. The kind of work that we do here in this school (coughs) costs you everything and has an immense risk. I don't know about you, but um, after getting involved in this form of spiritual work, my friends that I had uh, kind of disappeared. My whole life with, re- with respect to my previous friends and relationships, um, it cost me that to take this step to come here. So I imagine it's pretty similar for the rest of you. I imagine it's, it's a pretty common experience that just in, in that domain, um, when you got involved with this school, it cost you everybody, almost everybody that you knew before. You know, all your previous life and relationships and, and probably your family. It basically cost you your whole life history previous to now. That's what it cost you. And the thing is, in taking the risk, you know, the risk is very big because there are no guarantees. You know, you pay everything to get something that you don't even know if there's what it is. There's no guarantee and no description about what it is that you're going to get. So the question was, is your religion real when it costs you nothing and carries no risks? Quote, but I realize that humans cannot bear very much reality. Most lives are a flight from selfhood. Most people prefer the truths of the stable. You stick your heads into the stanchions and munch contentedly until you die. Others use you for their purposes. Not once do you live outside the stable to lift your head. And be your own creature. the The life of the Fremen is really a life that's chosen. When when you choose to live in out in the desert, and and um, make the shift from living the life that you had before to living this life, you're, you've. Uh, you've really moved from one domain of possibility to another and in this domain you're asked to show up you are I didn't know that when I first came here cuz I didn't really even know what it meant to show up because I thought that I was showing up I thought that in my life because I had a business, a successful computer and electronics development business, and because I owned my own house, and because I was married and had kids and had traveled around the world, I thought that I was showing up. I thought that um, that you know it was really clear and obvious that uh, this is what this is, this is what showed up was. When I got here, Um, it became clear that all of those things that I just mentioned were um, that I had like created all of that as a strategy for survival and I was just fulfilling my own survival strategy so when I came here the demand is show up and at first I go well I am showing up and then the answer is show up and and Um, the distinction between um, showing up as a strategy versus showing up as who I am is a fine but major distinction it's a a drastic distinction and it's and it's possible to confuse them but it's a major big distinction so what they're saying in this quote is Without attempting to make that distinction and move in the direction of showing up rather than surviving, um, you are you are moving outside of the stable. You're moving into a domain where you are responsible for yourself rather than being um, an effect of your environment. And when when I um, I, anyway, this is sort of a personal story, but I re- I remember one time being in Darshan, and and uh, giving prasad, and um, having this question in mind, and going and going, really in presenting prasad, asking the question, what do you want of me? What is it that what is it that you're asking of me? Are you asking me? to claim, like, uh, an archetypal part of myself is who I am as a, as a, as a man, you know, as a, as a being. And, the, and that's my question, that was my question. Are you asking me to show up? And the answer was, take your power back, show up. You know, you've got a job to do, there's lots of work to do here, be you. Get off it, drop this shit, show up that's the answer that I you know that I was that I experienced and um, that's that's the demand of choosing to live a life in a desert you know bonded to uh, a group of other Fremen who are living in a siege that's that's the that's the choice you choose because if you go out of here if you leave the siege and go out into the desert without doing your practices you die and that wasn't true before um if before you used to be able to live out in the world and just you know eat at mcdonald's and you know watch tv and just blow your you know just hang out just that used to be true it's not true anymore when you've taken the step to move out of the stable the, the the food is not given to you on a platter anymore. You're not schlock this like plate of you know hot dogs and beans, and you can survive on that you know prison fare anymore. It's not prison fare anymore. You're not surviving on prison food anymore. You require what you're doing here. The refinement that you're moving through requires a different kind of food. That food is not generally available in the desert, just like water is not available out in the desert. The, the food that you need to survive here is, is, um, is more highly refined and more potent and more specific and provides different nutrients to building you know, your matrix and feeding your being and like that. that it, and that all of that is not available out in the desert. We need to bond together like we do here in the siege, working as Fremen together, to uh, provide this food for each other, so that we can survive. But that's that's the distinction they're talking about: is living in the stable, out th- you know, out there in the city where y- your old life used to be, or out here in the desert where every piece of food that you get is um, you sourced it, you you or the fellow Fremen that you have source that food. They have a term, <coughs> a Fremen, one of the Fremen's terminologies is called Ichwan Bedwine. And what that means, it's the brotherhood of all Fremen on Arrakis. Last night uh, during the Tibetan man's talk, he was sitting in front of the room in in a position where Mr. Lee usually sits. And Mr. Lee was sitting on the side of the room on the floor up against the door where one of us might sit. During the talk, the speaker, the man, drank all the water out of his glass. There was no more water in his glass. Mr. Lee got up off the floor, poured the man another glass of water the reason he did that was because of each bedwine the brotherhood of all Fremen on Arrakis he was showing regard and respect and hospitality for a fellow Fremen for somebody who has moved out of the desert you know out into the desert of his own will and has practiced enough to be what's called a naive or a, a leader of, a, of another Siege. This this man was a was a was he was a he had his own school, right? And he uh, a monastery, he was a leader of a monastery, he was the leader of another siege. So this was one siege leader showing respect and regard and hospitality for another siege leader because of the brotherhood of doing the same kind of work. We, we have Mr. Lee is an example of that. He's actually a teacher of that. I think he's, my opinion is that he's a teacher of that to other teachers because he, he goes out of his way to visit and be with and support and teach other teachers and establishes a connection between real teachers that... Um, you know that is that is exactly this brotherhood and we're involved in that when we have guests coming to um, our school from other schools there's a sense of brotherhood between us and other schools when mr. Lee takes a group of people and visits uh, students in France or of other teachers students of other teachers in France or or other te- students of other teachers in Germany or wherever he visits, he is he is demonstrating and thereby teaching um, Ichwan Bedwine, which is this brotherhood. He's he's establishing a relationship between students of teachers and between teachers that um, acknowledges the fact that we're all out in the desert trying to terraform the planet and. Um, rather than argue with each other over, um, you know, crazy little things, work together. Let's work together. And really, that's what makes, uh, Mr. Lee is spearheading the movement to terraform the planet. And uh, that's exciting to me, I don't know, it's just. Quote, if you believe certain words, you believe their hidden arguments. When you believe something is right or wrong, true or false, you believe the assumptions in the words which express the arguments. <coughs> Such assumptions are often full of holes, but remain most precious to the convinced. Quote, there's no mystery about a human life. It's not a problem to be solved but a reality to be experienced. I like this next one. Quote, to stay awake all night adds a day to your life. We're often given that invitation here. We rarely accept it because we think it's not comfortable. Um, I didn't used to stay awake all night until I got into the electronics business and had deadlines to meet and uh, I couldn't get the amount of work done that I needed to get done unless I stayed up all night and what I learned was something that would be useful for you for you if you were ever staying up all night and that is that when you forget at first begin to stay up all night it's kind of this kind of mountainous hill that you're climbing sort of like a hill and things start to wear down and get weaker and, and these voices start coming in your head like there's a bed in the next room you got to get up early tomorrow and meditate we've got an important job to get done and uh, if you're not alert and awake and get eight hours sleep tonight you're not going to be able to do it um, your health might be you know you might get a cold if you don't get enough sleep these are the voices that go on in our head so that's what happens as we're climbing this hill right about 11 12 o'clock at night but if you just keep going right through the 11 12 o'clock and that you get to 1 o'clock and right about 1 o'clock between 1 and 2 o'clock you'll find that it just kind of levels out and about 2 o'clock two thirty, it goes and you got the rest of the night home free and it is hump to get over mm-hmm. and if and it's uh, it's great fun to do that because this is true to stay awake all night adds a day to your life. And I recommend that, as that you do some experiments along those lines. A lot of these are about um, experiments you can do with yourself. A lot of these are about taking risks or taking little uh, steps. So try that. Next time, next time you have a chance, you know, next time there's a tavern, use it. Um, we had a tavern in Germany last time I was there and I hadn't been to taverns for a while and this was in the Hohenauerbergen household and at first they were going to have it and then nobody was going to be there and so it wasn't going to happen and then I came home from being out all day and it turned out that everybody's plans had somehow changed around and everybody was going to be there and so they set up a tavern and we we sat there and, and I was